following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Isaiah chapter 43 verses 16 to 21, and that's on page 730 of the Church Bibles. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. And the second reading is from John, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, and that's on page 1079. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let us pray. Lord, give us open eyes, open ears, and open hearts to receive from your word today. Amen.
Our God is the God who makes all things new. As we approach Holy Week and consider once again how Jesus went to his death, we are invited by our reading from the great and mighty prophet Isaiah to remember that the God who brings life out of death and hope where there seems to be no hope. You might want to follow along the reading with me from Isaiah 43 on page 730 of our church Bible. Our Lord, we read, makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Which way? In which sea? Any guesses? Well, Isaiah is talking about the Exodus. You may have seen the movie. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and crossing the wilderness in the dead of night, they came to the Red Sea and wondered how to get across. God provided a route where there seemed to be no route, a path where there seemed to be no path. Israel escaped with their lives while Pharaoh and his chariots lay fallen unable to rise, as Isaiah puts it in this passage. And then he says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. What things? From when? Any guesses? Brothers and sisters, is it not passing strange on first glance that it seems like Isaiah is saying, on the one hand, our God is the Lord who led us, out of, led us in the exodus out of slavery, but now do not dwell on that, but consider instead a new thing. Verse 19, see I am doing a new thing, often translated with a sense of being just about to begin doing it because of the way the whole verse works. I am about to do a new thing, the NRSV puts it. And then now it springs up. And what is this new thing? Still in verse 19, the new thing is, a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. So this time it won't be like the Exodus, dry land to get you through the waters. It will be waters to sustain you through the dry land. The wild animals will cause no trouble, says Isaiah, and there will be Verse 20, water in the wilderness. Well, God has done that before, just after the Exodus, when the people of God traveled for 40 years in the wilderness. And God provided, among other things, water from a rock for them to drink. But what is Isaiah talking about now, such that this is a new thing? The context for this whole passage is the exile of God's people, in, the, in Babylon, 6th century BC. God's people have been taken out of their land and carried off to a faraway place, way out east, accessed from Israel around the so-called Fertile Crescent with life-giving water and populations. But actually, geographically, directly across a vast desert wasteland 
known today as part of the Arabian Desert. Babylon was located in modern-day Iraq. They didn't know that at the time. Uh, around 50 miles south of where Baghdad now stands. And if you wanted to travel there, travel from there in exile back to Israel, the only common sense route was north, up around what they called the Fertile Crescent. It was crescent-shaped and it was fertile. But in the prophetic outpouring of visionary hope in this section of the great book of Isaiah, what is imagined for the return from exile is not the long trek through the north, replete with ancient Babylonian service stations and premier inns at handy intervals along the route, but miraculously, a way in the wilderness, a straight path through the desert, which will bloom into oasis life for their glorious homecoming. The gospel writers capture John the Baptist borrowing this language in the build-up to Jesus' ministry. Many centuries later, make straight a path in the wilderness. So to summarize, this new thing that God is about to do is A, the return of God's people from exile in Babylon, and B, who knew, future triumphal returns of the king to Zion, such as Jesus himself will enact six centuries later for us and for our salvation. In short, God is in the business of providing hope when there seems to be no hope. And life when there seems to be only death and despair. And he does this because he is the God who specializes in hope and life and newness, most especially when the odds seem stacked against it. Exile, death. Does anyone want to add the state of the world today? So, it is an interesting balancing act that the prophet Isaiah seems to imagine for his hearers. Obviously, he was not saying that the exodus was not important. Clearly, it was a very important thing in Israel's history and for Israel's ongoing encouragement. Indeed, it's one of their most important memories of all. But the point was that God was now about to do a new thing. So they had to hold the past and the future in balance. What God did before would still encourage them, and does so even to this day. But what God will do next will be new, surprising, unexpected, and truly wonderful. I think the lesson we might learn from this is always relevant in our lives with God. Indeed, I'm sure this is one of the reasons why this is one of the lectionary readings in the run-up towards Easter. So think of Jesus on the way to the cross in the darkness of the week leading up to Easter. Despite all God's goodness in the past, all now seems 
lost. But God does a new thing. Life comes out of death just when all seemed hopeless. And think of God's church in the 21st century here in the UK, in a culture that may seem to move further and further away from God. Despite all God's goodness in the past, all can easily seem lost to us. But God will do a new thing. What does God have in store for us at St. Nick's? Full disclosure, I don't know. But does it not seem likely that it will be a new thing? Assuredly testifying to the same God and to the same power of new life that we have always known, but not, or at least most likely not, in exactly the same way that we have seen it before. And is it the same in our own lives, individually? Do we sometimes try to focus on the former things, try to locate God in the way things used to be, try to turn the clock back, hoping that everything might make the kind of sense it used to in the good old days? Although, of course, if you were to time travel back to the good old days, you know what they'd be saying. It was much better in the good old days. But gospel truth, like God's mercy, is new every morning. Here is how I think the prophet Isaiah intends us to hear good news this morning. He's not saying, wasn't the Exodus great? Those were the days. But rather, he's saying, if you thought that was impressive back then, and it was, then it's going to be even more remarkable when God is at work in new ways. I only really want to say one further thing about this. I want to acknowledge that for a lot of us, it is unnerving when things change. We worry easily about the world that we live in. And we find it hard to understand what is going on. But there is something special for us as God's people to hold on to here. In an important sense, God has already told us exactly where all this change is heading. God has already revealed what the new world will look like. Later in his book, the prophet Isaiah will call it the new heavens and the new earth. And the New Testament, as it usually does, borrowing all its best ideas from the Old Testament, calls it that too. In the end, I'm going to follow God's lead here and spoil the plot. In the end, we will all live in peace. There will be no more crying and no more tears, no more suffering and no more pain. And the way we know that this is true is because Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place and has defeated death and invites us to follow him in the joy of resurrection life. All the change in the here and now, all the ways that God wants to move us on, are all designed to move us towards God's final peace and joy and the life of the world to come. 
So that's why I say that God has already shown us where we are heading. Indeed, it turns out that the word new in the Bible sort of means renewed as much as anything else. The new creation is the old creation, renewed. New life in Christ is our old life, made new. And the new future of our church here at St. Nick's is the same old, good old, much-loved church, and yet made new in Christ. And our calling to be disciples in the community of St. Cuthbert, those of us who are in it, as we work on it and discern what it is, is the old, old story of faithfulness, but made new in ways we have probably not yet imagined. So of course in the meantime, it is often confusing as we struggle to understand what is happening. Whenever God does new things, there are always some who oppose it and try to hold on to the way that things were. When Jesus was around, there were lots of apparently religious people who opposed him and did not like the way he was shaking things up. That's how I read today's uh, gospel reading. That's how I read Judas in today's gospel reading. Mary inexplicably and extravagantly pouring out expensive perfume. Some say the perfume that was set aside to be part of her dowry in awestruck wonder at the new presence of Jesus Christ, literally bringing life out of, the, out of death and raising Lazarus from the tomb that's just taken place. Mary doubtless not able to explain what is going on, but loving it. While Judas has a strong steer on knowing how things are supposed to work how they've always worked in the past. And with one eye on the planned giving to the poor, on which topic you have to say he probably has a point, but he is totally unable to see that God is doing a new thing right in front of his eyes, for which Mary's heart-bursting and overwhelmed action, the very original instance of letting your hair down in public, which was probably scandalous, in that time and place, but God's newness was breaking all the rules. Mary's overwhelmed action was right in the one pivotal and fundamental way that really mattered. God was doing a new thing. It sprang up like streams in the wasteland and she perceived it. So very simply, I invite us to trust that when God is shaking things up or doing something new, that it is for our good. God has not finished doing what he wants to do with us. We are not perfect yet. Well, let's be honest. Most of us are a long way from being perfect. And so from that point of view, it's a good thing that God is still changing us, changing our world, pressing us onwards towards the goal of being more like Jesus. Yes, it is good to look back to the Exodus, to the great moments with God in our past, and in so doing we rejoice and give thanks. 
but we do so knowing that the purpose of that is to recall the great things God has done precisely so that we are ready to see the new things that God will do. Our God is a God who loves to make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, I am doing a new thing, he says. So thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk. Thank you.